We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, there is no such thing as bad publicity? You heard that? Does anyone know where that comes from, that there's no such thing as bad publicity? Um, they say it's usually attributed to P.T. Barnum, right? who was advertising circuses and things like that. Um, so you've maybe heard that one. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, um, I, I would wonder within the advertising world if they think that's true. I think uh, maybe they're able to, to um, almost spin any publicity into a good thing. Uh, but I found another quote that maybe some of you have heard. This one is similar. There's no such thing as bad publicity except your own obituary. Yeah. <laughs> Right? So this, one, this one's a little bit more sobering, right? But, but I, I think we get the idea on some level, and I would argue we increasingly uh, live in a world that maybe follows that, that there is no such thing as bad publicity. Uh, you've heard the term influencer before, right? You kind of know what that is, right? So uh, um, influencers are individuals within our world um, that uh, on some level maybe have the ability to shape how we think, how we speak, what we buy, and how we move, okay? Now, this isn't a new thing, although maybe that term influencer is new to you um, because I think it it was coined and and we hear it more and more in the last uh, 10 to 20 years for sure, but th- this is nothing new, right? Uh, this idea that, that there are individuals that are able to get publicity, that are able to get, gather our eyes and our ears, and are able to move us in a direction. Now, here's what's a little bit interesting. Um, that concept of being an influencer has changed a little bit in the internet age. So, there is a degree of influencing towards a, a, a position, right? Or influencing towards buying a certain product. I think that still is contained there. But what's fascinating is today in our modern age, um, influencing doesn't even necessarily move you towards buying or um, kind of getting connected into something. Sometimes it is an end unto its own. <laughs> Just having people watching you makes you an influencer. Now, there's a little bit of an issue with that because we have to ask ourselves, what are we influencing towards or what are we being influenced by? There's a fascinating story that I read recently. Um, It was written by Nicholas Perry. Uh, He wrote it and and it was published on the Gospel Coalition. Uh, The name of the article is this, How to Gain an Audience and lose your soul. Maybe some of you have read it. Uh, It came out in December, but it's a fascinating article where he talks a little bit about that idea of what it means to influence or be an influencer. So how to gain an audience and lose your soul. And he talks about a man named Nicholas Perry. So does anybody know who Nicholas Perry is? Some of you do? Okay. Um, So Ben raised his hand. Um, I didn't necessarily know who Nicholas Perry was, but I asked my kids... And they did, okay? So hold that thought for us as adults. Um, Nicholas wanted to be an influencer. Uh, he, he wanted to have influence. He wanted to, to have an, an audience. And he's a talented guy, right? Remarkably talented. Uh, he was, he's a, a wonderful 
violin player. And so what he did was he moved to New York. He played his violin. His dream was to play on uh, his violin on Broadway uh, and to kind of make his name with his instrument. And so he worked hard at it. And he did it for about a year, but things just weren't happening. Uh, New York City had so many talented musicians, right? Almost an overwhelming amount of talented musicians. So that didn't help. Uh, um, And then in addition to that, he thought, well, I will start to use my gift of music uh, and I I will broadcast it to the world. And how do we broadcast to the world today? On the internet, right? So he did that. So for about a year, he played his violin and he had his own YouTube channel and what he was hoping was that, that he would gain an audience, right, so that he could have some influence. What he was hoping was that he would get views, that people would, would sign on and say, I want to see Nicholas play his violin over and over again. But after about a year, it didn't go anywhere. He had very few views. He had very few followers. He had very few likes. And it had nothing to do with, with who he was and actually, or even the talent that he had playing violin, but it just didn't take off. And maybe we can understand a little bit why, right? Because if you want influence, if you want eyes on, if you want clicks, if you want views, if you want people paying attention, it can't be something as mundane as being an incredible violin player, can it? Not in today's day and age, Right? It's not enough anymore, is it? Nicholas understood that on some level. And so he switched up his tactic a little bit with his YouTube channel. And so instead of of broadcasting his skills at playing violin, uh, he started just simply talking to the camera and eating food, eating meals, okay? Now, some of you chuckled. You want to know where his view count started to go? Up. More and more and more. And what he soon realized was that the, the more crazy the meal was that he ate, can you guess where his views and his likes went? Up, right? And so he started to take suggestions from his audience as to what he should eat, and he started to eat more and more and more, and the meals were crazier and crazier and crazier, and guess what happened to his audience and his influence? Up and up and up. But it wasn't without effect, right? Nicholas Perry soon morphed into uh, his YouTube handle, um, and I I always have a hard time pronouncing it, Nicocado Avocado, okay? So I had no idea who Nicocado Avocado was, and I simply texted my girls, one is 18 and one is 15. And I said, do you know Nicocado Avocado? They texted back, yes. Okay? Maybe some of you don't, but millions and in fact billions of people have watched Nicocado Avocado's YouTube channel and all of his social media. Nothing more than eating crazier and crazier meals. But as I mentioned, not without effect. This was Nicholas Perry when he began eating meals in front of an internet audience, when his likes and his influence started to go up. This is Nicocado Avocado today. 
So it was not without effect. What would happen if you and I ate entire menus at McDonald's in a single setting? Yeah, not awesome stuff, right? Not awesome stuff. Uh, Nicocado avocado um, increasingly began to gain weight, increasingly uh, began to show the effects of the influence that he wanted and started to reflect the very things that his audience was demanding of him. What that resulted in, um, he is now labeled as, as permanently disabled. He does not walk, he rides a scooter. You can see sleep apnea, diabetes, uh, bouts of manic uh, um, moments, as well as depression. So it's not without effect. Does he have influence? We maybe would argue whether he does or he doesn't, right? Uh, to date, Nicocado Avocado has 7 million subscribers that watch him eat meals like that, right? His videos have been viewed more than 1.8 billion times, okay? So is that influence? It's hard to say, right? From that same article from the Gospel Coalition, he quotes Gerwinder Bogal, says this about Nicocado's uh, um, kind of transformation. It says, the rampant appetite for attention caused the person, Nicholas Perry, to be subsumed by the persona, Nicocado. And I think we can understand it because even physically you can see how it changed him, right? Today, that's a little bit what we want to look at. When Jesus calls us as his disciples to be salt and light, on some level, we're talking about um, sharing Christ and influence within our world. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves, especially in an ever-increasing world where you can get physically eyes on and views, is all influence good? Where does it lead? What answers does it give? And that's for those of us that are influenced and those that influence others. We have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose where is it headed? And ultimately, is it healthy? We can maybe make the argument that for Nicholas or Nicocado Avocado, it, it is clearly not very healthy for him. But how did he get there? And that's a fascinating thing in our world today. Um, um, people have called the internet, especially social media, a mimetic device. So a mimetic device which simply means that, that it will mirror back at you increasingly what you want from it, okay? And, so, and you, you kind of know this, right? Uh, um, we sometimes use this term echo chamber where, where we increasingly hear our own voice or the only voice that we want to hear and sooner or later that's the only voice that we can hear at all to the exclusion of friends, loved ones, anyone else in our lives, turns into this echo chamber, right? I think Nicholas fell into that same trap, a mimetic device, simply being echoed back at him in ever-increasing ways to the detriment of his health. We have to ask ourselves that very same thing. As we go to live our lives in glory to Christ, as we seek to, to influence the world around us, to what end? And for what purpose? Jesus is going to help us with that here today as we seek to understand our lives as believers 
in the greater world around us. So our sermon today is going to kind of follow uh, three different points. So our, our, our theme is salt and light. That's what Jesus calls us in our text. Um, but we're going to talk through three different things. Number one, he is. Uh, number two, you are. And the last one, are you? Question mark. So, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit what that means for us and most importantly for our witness and the influence that we have in the world around us. Now, uh, to understand maybe the setting a little bit of our text here today, those of you that were with us last week heard this, but uh, um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount primarily is being spoken to his believers and to his disciples, right? And that's a, that's a really important setting for us to understand. When Christ comes and when Jesus says, here is what I want you to be, in large part, he is talking to people that already know him as Lord and Savior. So he's speaking to believers, right? That's what's happening in our text today. So last week he talked about um, blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, right? And, and all of these things, but in large part, he is talking to individuals who, whose hearts have been changed and who have their faith and their trust placed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's true in our text here today. Now, Jesus wouldn't necessarily have had to. Um, the really fascinating uh, kind of contextual or historical reality of where this text takes place is uh, um, on some level Jesus' influence, his likes, his, um, his eyes on in his ministry uh, were pretty high at this point. Right? His popularity uh, had, had reached what some may argue would be the peak of his ministry. Through his miracles, through his healing, through the words that he spoke, his popularity had risen. But I think that's why it's a fascinating moment where Jesus takes this moment and instead of ever increasingly feeding the people that were coming to watch him what they wanted or what they expected of him, Jesus takes a step back and for his disciples and for us and says, what you want is not necessarily always what I am. And in fact, it is not what you need. Jesus says that to his disciples because this is a little bit of a turning point. His likes would now start to drop. In some sense, his earthly influence would start to drop. Right? As he told them exactly why he had come, that he was not there to be their revolutionary leader, a new king or a new leader and to kick the Romans out of their society, but he was in fact there to be their eternal king and was Lord and Savior. Um, his popularity and followers would start to peel away. That's important, I think, for us as well to understand. As we seek to live our lives in glory to Jesus, right, at times it will, it will um, shine a light on and be in contrast to the world around us. Jesus was trying to drive that home with his disciples. In some sense, he was trying to, to make sure that they did not get into a, uh, an echo chamber. Pharisees had done that. They had designed their echo chamber. They were the best at it. And they would tell the people of Israel, here's what you have to do if you want to be right with God. Jesus was, in a sense, breaking that apart and saying, there is nothing you can do to be right with God, but I'm going to do it for you. It's interesting, 
Uh, in the book of Matthew, a little few chapters later, Jesus actually asks his disciples. He tries to get a sense on, on where they are at and, in fact, a little bit of a sense, I don't know if we'd call this an opinion poll, but uh, on what, in general, society was saying of Jesus. So in Matthew 16, he says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist." Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Even in that, we can see that Jesus understood that sometimes the view of what we want him to be is not always the same as what he actually is or what we need him to be. And I think we understand that as well, too, don't we? Um, There are things that we can do that will elicit certain responses in us, but not all things we do and responses are equal, are they? Okay? I'll give you an example. You can exercise, and it will physically give you a dopamine hit and raise serotonin levels, and increase your heart rate and, and blood flow and do all kinds of wonderful things for you, right? So you can exercise. You can also participate in certain drugs and they will give you a dopamine hit and increase your blood flow, right? And maybe for short bursts, make you productive. But as adults, we understand that those are not necessarily equal, are they, right? They both may elicit a certain chemical response in us, but we would probably very clearly say one of them is remarkably healthy for us to do and one of them is not, right? Now, here brings up another issue. One is maybe a little bit harder to do than the other, which is sometimes where we fall short, isn't it? But I think that's what we're trying to get at here today. Not everything we do or we engage in is necessarily helpful for us. Jesus understood that, so did the Apostle Paul. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to decay? So Paul had just gone through an entire um, um, couple paragraphs talking about the good that he wanted to do, he did not do. The evil he did not want to do, that he kept on doing. And you can almost feel Paul in this, this, this kind of downward death spiral. And it all comes to a head at verse 24, where he admits, where he says, What a wretched man, man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. But he also found his rescuer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think we can understand Paul's struggle. I think we can understand in our own lives, at times the things we do are not the things we want to do. And the things we want not to do, we tend to fall into far too easily. I think we can understand even to some degree that mimetic response, right? Where, where we are getting feedback, but it's not necessarily healthy. Paul understood what the bottom of that was. 
It was wretchedness. It was an admission that he was sinful, that he was lost, and that, in fact, he needed a Savior. Well, here's the good news. That's what you have. That's what we have. If we want to consider um, our witness to the greater world around us and the people we love, we begin where Paul did and every believer has since. Understanding that on our own, we cannot fix it. That as hard as we try, as much as we strive, we are broken. And in fact, we need a Savior who could step into our place. That's exactly what Christ was. That's exactly who Christ is on your behalf. And so that is where Jesus begins when he talks to his disciples. That you have a Savior who has washed your sins clean, that has rescued you, that has rescued me, that has rescued us from our our ever-spiraling pit of sin and mimetic responses, that we have a Savior that saw fit not to to, uh, um, demand of us that we climb out of the pit to Him, but we have a God that saw our spiral and the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow in which we exist, and He said, "I I will walk with them. I will live with them. I will love them. I will give to them, and ultimately I will lay down my life on the cross for them. I will fix what they have broken and I'll do that through my sacrifice. That's the gift we have as believers and that's where we begin, right? And then Jesus is able to talk to us about how we share that reality with the world around us. It says this in our text, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, I know it's kind of interesting about this. As Jesus talks to his disciples and he talks to you, this isn't you will be. This isn't I hope you'll get there. This isn't um, you're kind of. What does Jesus say about you? What does Christ say about those whose hearts have been changed from darkness to light? He says this, you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is a present reality as believers in Christ. This is is what automatically, what what instinctually flows from knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it also raises a little bit of a concern for us. Because I think there are moments where we wonder if that is necessarily true. (laughs) Jesus says, this is what you are. This is what we are in him. Right? But are we always? It's maybe a good question. Right? Do our actions, do our words, do how we treat people, do, do, does our influence in the, the communities and the areas in which we live, do they shine light on Christ and his forgiveness or not? And sometimes that's a sobering question for us to ask of ourselves, right? But here's the comfort. Jesus says, I don't, I don't abandon you. I don't walk away from you. This is who you are. And you're going to have opportunities to be salt and light. Now, what does that look like in your world, in, the life, in your life and in the world around us? Um, I think we can pull a few things. I, I think on the... On the outset, we understand what Jesus is talking about here. Right? Talk about salt, it had preservative effects and it seasoned. 
Um, this is an admission that I like salt and that I eat at McDonald's and that McDonald's, I think, is secretly trying to make me a little healthier. So um, I don't know if any of you have noticed this. Maybe it's just me, but it feels to me as though they're not salting their fries as much as they used to. Now, I admire them. Uh, I admire them for trying to make me a little bit healthier, right? But do you want to know what I like on fries? Salt, yeah, because it's tasty, right? Um, and, and so we, Jesus calls us salt of the earth, right? So at that time, it was a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, and so salt would preserve. But salt also brings taste um, and in moderation, which is what McDonald's is trying to help me with, right? And I think we can see the illustration for us in our lives as believers, right? We have the opportunity uh, um, to, to, to bring life-giving word, to bring Christ to the people around us. And we have opportunity to bring joy, right? To, to season their lives with love, with forgiveness, patience, with kindness, right? And the second illustration uses is light. And I think we understand that. Light um, um, shines and, and reveals. And that's a two-sided sword at times, right? Light reveals. Sometimes it reveals sin, but it also brings warmth, guidance, and direction. God calls us as believers to do the very same thing, to simply reflect the light we know we have in Him to the people in our lives who are walking in darkness. Our text goes on, Verse 16, Jesus says this, for what purpose, right? You are to be salt and light. Here's the purpose. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so what's the point for us as believers in our influence in the world around us? Is it to gain notoriety for ourselves? Is it to increase our viewer count, our likes, our YouTube channel? It's actually not any of those things, is it? Right? What limited influence we may have as believers is meant to do nothing else than to bring Christ into the lives of people whose lives are darkened. Right? If it does nothing else, the way we act, the words we use, the things we choose to do and choose not to do, if they point to Christ, then we're doing what, his, what we as his disciples have been called to do. We're able to bring healing. Forgiveness. Uh, this is uh, Fritz Kreisler. Uh, he was a famous violinist, uh, died about 1960, so uh, early 1900s. Um, kind of renowned for his ability to play violin. Um, people that, that, that love music say that even to this day, if you hear, uh, um, if you hear Fritz play, he has kind of a distinctive sound. You, every, almost all violins can be played Similarly, but really good um, performers, you can actually pick out their distinctive sound. There's a story about Fritz uh, and his violins, and he owned several violins that were, that were uh, um, kind of world-renowned, right? And the, the most famous are some of the Stradivarius violins, and Fritz owned some of those. There's a story that goes that Fritz um, found a collector who had bought a Stradivarius uh, for an obscene amount of money, 
And, and Fritz wanted to buy it. He wanted to be able to use that violin. He wanted to be able to use that incredible piece to make music. And so he went to the collector and he said, can I buy your Stradivarius violin from you? And the collector said, well, no. I paid a lot of money for it. I love it. I love looking at it. He had it locked up in a case. No one ever touched it. He said, I love admiring a beautiful uh, instrument. And that's where it sat. Fritz was a little dismayed. Um, he couldn't afford to pay what the man had paid for it. Um, and he said, well, would you do me a favor? I can't buy it from you. I don't have that kind of money. Um, you don't want to sell it anyway. Uh, but, but will you let me play it just once? And then you can lock it away and admire it for years to come. W will you let me play it? The man kind of reluctantly said, yeah, I, I guess I will. He knew that Fritz was a good uh, violin player. He knew that he had talent. He said, okay, you can play it. You can play it once, but then it, it's going to get put away. Fritz played it. The collector was so moved by the music that came from the instrument that he gave it to him. You know why? Because <laughs> instruments are meant to be played. <laughs> They're meant to make music not be locked up in a case just to be admired. There is truth in that for us as believers as well. God has made you something new. He has changed our hearts from darkness to light, not to be locked in a case to be admired, not to be on a, a dusty shelf, but in order to make music in the world around us. And more specifically, to point people to Christ, the joy that we have in him, the forgiveness that we have in him. May the Lord bless you as you do that, as you are salt, as you are light, and as you make beautiful music pointing others to Christ. Amen.